Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Serenity Now edition, as we look back at one of the roughest days for the Bengals' defense in the team's 50-and-a-half-year history, a 51-14 loss to the New Orleans Saints. Since the classic TV sitcom Seinfeld has been off the air for 20 years, it occurs to me that I probably have to explain the expression Serenity Now to at least a few of you. There was a character on Seinfeld named Frank Costanza, played by the hilarious Jerry Stiller, who was advised by his doctor to say, Serenity Now, every time he got angry in order to keep his blood pressure down. Other characters on the show tried to use the same expression, and it didn't work out so well. If you haven't seen the episode, you can see a bunch of Serenity Now clips on YouTube. Coming up on the podcast, you'll hear radio replays from the game, locker room interviews with several players, and Dave Lapham will join me for post-game analysis. Plus, in this week's Fun Facts interview, I'll talk to Bengals tight end Matt Lengel, who is part of an amazing list. Tom Brady has thrown touchdown passes to 71 different receivers. That's an NFL record, and yes, one of them is Matt Lengel. I'll talk to him about that and much more. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since smart wool socks. No matter how cold it gets, the window in the broadcast booth must be open during the game. I think it's important, as an announcer, to hear the crowd and have a true sense of the weather conditions. And the cold generally doesn't bother me that much, as long as my feet aren't frozen. And they never are, as long as I remember my smart wool hiking socks. Enough about my feet. Let's get to the game. The first quarter was actually entertaining. The Bengals entered the game last in the league in yards allowed and 30th in points allowed. Facing Drew Brees and the Saints, a rough day was a distinct possibility, and New Orleans began the game with a 15-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that took eight and a half minutes off the clock. From the seven-yard line, second down and goal for the Saints. Brees fakes a handoff, looking left, throws toward the left side of the end zone, diving attempt for the catch. It is a touchdown for New Orleans. Michael Thomas with the catch. On an amazing throw from Drew Brees. Unbelievable throw. I mean, that coverage is excellent. I mean, Will Jackson can't do much better than that. Serenity now. Here's Jackson on Drew Brees and the Saints offense. They got a lot of weapons. I mean, they, they got a great scheme. They have great route combinations. It's not Then the quarterback, obviously, he's he's one of a kind. He throw the ball where no, the defender can't get it. I mean, well, he threw one pick this year, so... He's just a a great quarterback, and he put it in the right spots. Let's face it. For the Bengals to have a chance to pull off the upset, they were going to have to score a bunch of points. And Cincinnati's opening drive was a thing of beauty. Eight plays, 75 yards, to tie the game with two minutes left in the first quarter. First and goal from the three-yard line for Cincinnati. Dalton under center. Fakes a handoff. He wants to throw. He passes for Ross. Touchdown! Bengals! A crossing route. On the back line of the end zone, and John Ross hauls in his third touchdown catch of the season. So at that point, Bengals fans were thinking maybe, just maybe, the team could overcome its struggling defense 
and win a shootout. Here's Tyler Boyd. We got to score. Regardless, this is, a, this is a hard league. You know, everybody puts up 30 points a game. So if you don't score points, I mean, it's hard to win. So I'm more, you know, frustrated on the offense than anything. Especially after the way it started? Definitely, man. Just just seeing that drive, you know, we controlled the ball. We didn't get in any situations where we got uh, hesitant or we felt that we had any pressure. You know, we just everything was clicking. You know, once everything stays that way, then sky's the limit, man. I say that every week. We just got to stay consistent. For a lesson in consistency, I present the New Orleans Saints. On their second drive, they went 75 yards on six plays. Now Kamara sprinting to the right. Drew Brees back to throw. Screens it back to the left. Ingram running down the sideline to the 15, the 10. Spin move there. Gets away from Sean Williams and runs into the end zone for a New Orleans touchdown. The Saints' third drive was 90 yards in nine plays. Brees hands it off to Kamara and he runs into the end zone for a New Orleans touchdown. Following the left side of the offensive line, three possessions, three TDs for the Saints. Drive number four was 60 yards. It's a pitch to the left. Kamara being chased by Hubbard. Sam can't catch him. Touchdown, New Orleans. It was 28-7 with 122 left in the half. After punting on two straight possessions, the Bengals desperately needed to get some points before the half. Instead... Serenity now. Dalton catches the shotgun snap. He's going to fire deep for John Ross. Intercepted at the five-yard line. The Saints have the football to the 30, the 35. Marcus Williams to the 50. Andy Dalton trying to get him out of bounds. He can't. Alex Erickson hustles and tackles Williams with eight seconds left in the half at the 17-yard line of Cincinnati. Man, obviously not on the same page whatsoever. Quarterback and receivers. I mean, he just throws that ball up. The return was 78 yards, and with eight seconds left on the clock, was there any doubt what was going to happen next? Shotgun snap. Breeze drops back from the 25. His pass caught over the middle for a touchdown for Michael Thomas. And the Saints are running away and hiding here at Paul Brown Stadium. 35-7 New Orleans at the half. Last week, the Saints scored 35 points in the first half against the previously unbeaten Rams, so I guess we shouldn't have been shocked when they did it to the Bengals. Here's Preston Brown. I mean, they got great weapons, but they just have so, so much confidence in what they do. I mean, they, they run personally on and out. They know the plays extremely well. They have a quarterback who's been back there for 20 years, so everybody knows what they're doing, and they play extremely fast. Can you describe the frustration level right now? Oh, it's at a all-time high for me. I mean, I never... Seeing anything like it, I mean, every week is just we're giving up too many yards. I mean, I got to look at myself and find a way to help this team because I need, to, I need to play a lot better if we're going to be better on defense. After scoring touchdowns on all five of their possessions in the first half, the Saints settled for a field goal the first time they get the ball in the third quarter before scoring another touchdown on possession number seven. The Saints are going to go for it on fourth down and goal, inches away from the Bengals' goal line. Drew Brees jumps up, extends the ball with two hands. How many times have we seen him do that over the years? It's a New Orleans touchdown. Drew Brees finished 20 for 25 for 265 yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and a passer rating of 150.4. A perfect score is 158.3. Here's linebacker Jordan Evans. I mean, they got a great quarterback. 
we know yeah, great running back, great receivers, you know, they're good, great offensive line. They're just a good team, and uh, they do what they do very, very well. So even though they, you know, it, we, we prepare for it, they still just they out-execute us, and, and, and that's what it was. It was 45-7 going to the fourth quarter, and the Saints kept scoring, kicking field goals on their eighth and ninth possessions. The only time all day that New Orleans didn't score was on their 10th and final possession when they ran out the final 442 off the clock. The Bengals did add a late touchdown, the first ever scored in a regular season game by backup quarterback Jeff Driscoll. Zone read, Driscoll keeps running left, racing to the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Jeff Driscoll. He kept it on a zone read on fourth down and a yard and runs 27 yards for his first NFL touchdown. How about that? The final score, 51-14. Here's Tyler Boyd. Man, it hurt. It definitely hurt. You know, guys might not show that, but to me, it hurt. I hate to lose, especially like that. We got flat out embarrassed, you know, and that's not a loss that I ever want to take. You know, that's, that's high school score. That's, man, we're, we're the top athletes here, so we got to show that. Now time for some numbers. The 51 points allowed were one off the team record, and it's the most ever allowed in a home game. The Saints finished with 509 yards of offense, making the Bengals the first team in the Super Bowl era to allow 500 or more yards in three straight games. Cincinnati is on a pace to surrender 512 points this year. The franchise record is 460. So how do they fix it? Here's Michael Johnson. You know, whatever is, is being called, we have to go execute it. What they, you know, that's what they pay us for, to go out and do what we, what we asked to do and do it well. So we need to do it better. We just got to do our job better. Like, if you do your job for four to eight plays and then you decide four to nine to, you know, you're going to do your own thing, it can, it can hurt us. You know, and we got 11 guys, so 11 guys got to do exactly what they coach to do, play in and play out to the best of their ability because we can't make corrections if we're not where we're supposed to be. Despite the 37-point loss to the Saints and the 35-point loss to the Chiefs a few weeks ago, the 5-4 and four Bengals are still, at least for now, the sixth and final playoff seed in the AFC. Up next, a road game at Baltimore. Here are Preston Brown and Marvin Lewis. We still got a lot of division games to play. We got to go to Baltimore and get a big win. We don't know who quarterback is going to be, but we got to find a way to get a big win and shake this rust off because we can't keep giving up 500 yards and expect the offense to score 50 if we can't get anything. So we got to get better. We got to correct. We got to get in the right spots. We got to do it with the right people, and we got to make sure we understand it. Uh, we got an opportunity again next week against Baltimore to, to put ourselves right back where we need to be. Now time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, for postgame analysis. At this point, with seven games left in the regular season, the Bengals' defense is historically bad. On a pace to give up the most yards in NFL history, on a pace to give up the most points in Bengals' history, is the reason for hope that it can get considerably better. First time in NFL history that a team has given up 500 yards or more. But you look at the teams, you know, you get Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh was 480. <laughs> but, you know, Kansas City is a good football team. Tampa Bay is a good offensive football team. This Saints team might be as good as Kansas City or better. I mean, who knows? They're both, they're both dynamic in, in how they do it schematically. 
personnel, motions, formations. I mean, it's crazy. They get defensive eyes going the wrong direction, the wrong way. They just really make defensive players uncomfortable with all the speed and all the it, – it's like, you know, rush hour in Manhattan, what's going on out there. And it's hard to sort through, and guys get out of position. And, you know, you, you got to hope that when they, they play teams that don't have that warped speed, you know, Baltimore doesn't necessarily, Cleveland doesn't, and you start to get players back – um, you know, like like Vontez Perfect, like like Darquez Denard, you know, like Nick Vigil. You start to get some bodies back for this, you know, two game little stretch run in the division. It could could have an impact, could have a significance. So, I I don't think that Baltimore's offense and Cleveland's offense are going to pose anywhere near the kind of problems that you know Kansas City posed and New Orleans posed. So, there is there is hope, but everybody, be where you're supposed to be. Hit the gap you're supposed to hit. Don't freelance. Trust what you're supposed to do and do it and see what happens. But man, that was uh, that was a hot knife through butter. That was very, very frustrating. How about, you know, if a, you're a punter, you don't let her punting the football, but you hold on nine placements between touchdowns and field goals. So you're in the game for nine snaps as a holder. It's a very frustrating day. When you get half a honey hung on you, it's very frustrating. It's only happened five times in Bengals history. When you give up 51, you're not going to win the game. But the offense is responsible for how ugly today's game went as well. They went right down the field and scored a touchdown on a 75-yard drive with five first downs to begin the game. And then until the touchdown at the end by Jeff Driscoll that made the final score a tiny bit more respective. The offense did not play well at all. No question, Dan. On that touchdown you're describing, eight plays, five runs, three passes. Andy Dalton's three for three, throws a touchdown pass. They don't get to third down. They do all their damage on first and second down. Thing of beauty. And then when they did get to third down, 0 for 6 because it's third and long. I mean, New Orleans converted their first seven third downs. They were third and one, third and two, third and three. In other words, third and short. The Bengals weren't third and short. The Bengals were third and four or longer on every third down opportunity, except for one. Um, and, you know, that's that's where you have issues. And, uh, you know, that first drive, I don't know, I guess, what was it, fool's gold? I don't know what it was. But, I mean, you know, at that point, I'm not sure if it was any adjustments New Orleans made or just the fact that, you know, and I agree with your comment during the game when you said, you know, when you punt in a game like this, it's almost like a turnover. And, you know, it, it is. You start to feel like now you feel an additional pressure. Oh, man, they scored again. We, we punted. We, they scored again. We got to do something this time. So now all of a sudden, you know, the vice starts tightening on you and, and, uh, and you start doing things you shouldn't do. So, yeah, you get caught in that spiral, that big vortex, that big whirlpool. It's just going to take you right down to the, you know, the tide is, uh, there, there's a riptide out there, and you can't swim fast enough, you know, and it starts just pulling you down. My advice to the Bengals, avoid social media for the next 24 to 48 hours and try to get back on track for a divisional game on the road against Baltimore. Two division games in a row, on the road against Baltimore, and then Cleveland here. Mega games. Mega football games. They're one and one in the division right now. This is not even a conference loss. You know, I don't want to poo-poo it. I mean, I get smoked. It's not – I didn't expect them, honestly, to beat the Saints, but I didn't expect them to get blown out by 37 points and have 51 hung on them at home. You know, on the road against Kansas City is one thing, but at home, at Paul Brown Stadium, I, I just didn't expect that. I expected a high-scoring football game, um, but only one team was the high-scoring team again. You know, right now they're like minus 60. 
and they have a winning record, and they're minus 60 in points scored and points against because of two blowouts, Kansas City and this football game against the Saints. So it is only one loss, though, Dan, you know, and uh, you mentioned it a while back. Buffalo had two blowouts. They went 9-7 and seven and made the playoffs when the Bengals knocked the Ravens out. This is their second blowout. Will they be able to respond and recover, you know, and, and, uh, and get the job done against a couple of division opponents, division rivals? We'll see. That's a big test. They better be up for it. Thanks, Lap. For what it's worth, if the season ended today, the six-seeded Bengals would open the postseason at New England. Serenity now. Speaking of New England, it's time for this week's Fun fact segment, as you get to know the person under the pads. In this case, a Bengals tight end who earned a Super Bowl ring with the Patriots. Time for some fun facts with Bengals tight end Matt Lengel from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, not too far from the state capital of Harrisburg. Mechanicsburg, PA. Might be the most blue-collar sounding <laughs> name I've ever heard. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's about right. Uh, you know, it's really a small town kind of uh, situated within a bunch of other towns. You know, like you said, not too far away from Harrisburg. And it literally it's a settlement of mechanics back, you know, I think pre-Civil War era so I, that name means exactly how it sounds so your dad was a police officer you often tweet your respect for police officers what was it like growing up the son of a police officer and uh, how much love and respect do you have for what he did oh my gosh I mean it's it's truly it's not until you get older you know where you start to realize where you start to have a family of your own and you know, I don't have any kids yet but you know I have a wife and I have a house and I have responsibilities and a job and you know, it's not until I get older that I realize that every day he leaves the door, you know, you don't know if truly if he's coming back. And then he was on the SWAT team for, you know, 17 or 18 years. And, you know, so some days he would be dropping me off at football and his, his beeper would ring and he'd have to go and he'd have to, you know, he might not be back until the next morning at 6 a.m. And, uh, and again, you don't know if he's leaving. But as a little kid, I don't think I you know, truly realized, you know, at that age, you're, you know, your dad's Superman, you know, you don't anticipate anything bad happening to him. My Twitter, uh, I try to draw as much, you know, respect I can, you know, towards, you know, men and women of law enforcement, because as a son of a police officer, I, I understand, you know, what, what their family goes through. Um, And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, being one of those people that, um, you know, their mother or dad didn't come home. So uh, you'll see me retweet that stuff. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, you know, you'll scroll through my page and that might be the only thing you see for a a, a couple of thumb swipes. Uh, But, um, you know, it's just something that's important to me. It's something I want people to, you know, constantly be aware of is that, you know, these men and women are, you know, they're superheroes too. I mean, they're, Unbelievable people that chose that life and chose that occupation. So uh, I think they deserve all the respect that we can give them. Amen to that. We're doing fun facts with Matt Lengel. You started out at Northeastern in Boston, and then after one year, they dropped football. Did you have any inkling that might happen, or was it a total shock? Uh, It was a total shock. That was my only scholarship coming out of high school, so I went there. Um, I was all bought in. You know, I wanted to give them everything I had, and you know, it was the day after our last game, um, and they pulled us into the women's locker or the women's uh, gymnasium, women's basketball gymnasium, and you know they told us, uh, you know, they're dropping the program. 
Um, and it was it was scary because you know, like I said, that was my only scholarship, so I didn't know what was next. And you know, I was so disappointed in myself because I love football, and you know, I was just you know maybe if I would have gone somewhere you know that had a better program, you know, that you know this wouldn't be happening. Or um, and then actually the you know it's funny now, but uh, Hofstra was actually at the school they offered me the next day. And they dropped their football program a week later. So, uh, you know, for a while I was like, man, the football gods are not happy with me right now. Um, but, you know, after, you know, a couple weeks, uh, a couple strenuous, uh, stressful weeks, um, you know, I got multi- I got a few scholarship offers. Um, and um, ultimately I decided to go to Eastern Kentucky. You went from Northeastern to Eastern Kentucky and suffered – Serious knee injuries in back-to-back seasons. How did you overcome that? Truthfully, um, you know, one of the first things I did um, was just give thanks to God. That seems odd, you know, that I would, you know, in that situation, I would just give thanks. But, uh, you know, it it just, it happened. You know, it just almost just came out of my mouth. Like, I'm just going to choose to be thankful. I'm going to choose to trust the plan. I'm going to choose to just trust the you know, that God had a plan for me and that, you know, things were going to work out and that my belief in, uh, in him and Jesus w- was going to lead me to places that I wanted to be. Um, so, you know, truthfully, that's what I did in, in those situations. And then, you know, once the surgery came and, you know, I got that and, um, you know, I just was determined to take all that energy I was putting into football and then just put it into my rehab um, and put it into other areas of my life. So actually, my grades were better, you know, once I was, you know, rehabbing and, you know, my rehab went really well, you know, thankfully. And, uh, just cause all that energy, you know, sometimes I tried to, I just tried to stay away from, you know, feeling sorry for myself cause that's a dangerous place to be. And I think as an athlete, um, so I just, you know, transitioned all that energy into rehab, into school, into my relationship with now my wife. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a bad experience, you know, as, tragic as you know as it might seem uh, I think it's something I look back on and I'm thankful that happened to me because I think you know ultimately let me hear we're doing fun facts with Matt Lango you signed with the Bengals as a college free agent in 2015 spent that year on the practice squad what did that year do for your development oh I think it was very important um uh because you know coming out undrafted um you know with those injuries from a small school you know the game the game was a lot quicker um, and I think it just it gave me time to understand how to be a professional, really, um, because you know that first year I was I was almost you know, two two hundred seventy five pounds. Cause I just wanted to be as big and strong as possible. And then I, after a couple while, you know, after a little while and a couple weeks, you know, you just kind of figure out that like, all right, this isn't the best way. And I, my body doesn't feel the best that it can. And um, so it just kind of gave me time. It was almost like getting redshirted. It, it just gave me time to become a professional and understand what works and what doesn't work and some guys would look at the practice squad as you know you weren't the first overall draft pick you know with a 30 million dollar signing bonus but at the same time it was you know just another opportunity like I said I just tried to learn how to become a professional watch guys you know things guys do well things guys don't do well um, and just kind of you know put the pieces together and then um, I think you know now I think I have it figured out now I just got to you know continue to get better there's always things to improve so I'm not saying that but uh (laughs) there's always things to improve but I think uh, you know I'm at a a good place I guess a few more fun facts with Matt Langle so in your second season on the Bengals practice squad the team goes off to London in week eight you come back from London 
and out of the blue, the Patriots sign you off the practice squad, and just like that, you're playing on Sundays for the Patriots. It seemed like a shock to me at the time. Yeah. I can only imagine what it was like for you. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it, it was crazy. You know, it was just kind of a whirlwind. Um, you know, one day you're, you know, working on the scout team, and then one day you got to be expected to know everything and um, and be able to perform um, for a team that you know was doing well and. Uh, you know, you don't want to screw that up for anybody. So, uh, and, and a team that, uh, you know, demands a lot. Um, and then once I got there, I was um, watching the game. And my first game there is when Gronk got hurt. You know, a lot of people kind of get it backwards. They think Gronk got hurt and then they signed me. But, no, I was in the, I was in the stands there. The practice squad or the inactive guys aren't even on the sidelines. They're in the stands. So I was in the stands and Gronk got hurt and uh, just kind of, like, looked at myself. And I was like, all right. You know, it's just me and Martellus Bennett now. So I guess I got to <laughs> the, – the time has come. So I just – you know, I studied the playbook as hard as I can, like I'm doing now because, you know, it's a similar situation. Um, you know, coming in halfway through a year to learn a playbook is not easy, uh, but it's – you know, it can be done. So, you know, just trying to do that as, as much as possible right now. And, yeah, when I, when I had to do that back then too, it was uh, – it was the first time, so it was a little bit more stressful. So, <laughs> uh, but I got through it. Tom Brady recently set an NFL record by throwing a touchdown pass to a 71st different receiver, and you're on that list. Your first NFL catch, Christmas Eve 2016, 18-yard catch from Tom Brady. I went back and watched the footage today. Your teammates went nuts. <laughs> they were really excited for you. Uh, what was that moment like? Uh, I mean, it was – I wish I had a cool touchdown celebration, but uh, it was, you know, when I when I did it, I stood up and I realized I just was so, I mean, it was just a dream, you know, come true uh, kind of thing. And it was, you know, I was just glad to be there, you know, when called upon and to be able to execute my job and do it well. And, you know, for, you know, those kind of guys that, you know, like Tom and, you know, like Julian and like all those guys that are there that are, you know, great competitors and great athletes, you know, just in that moment, you know, if that was my moment to, you know, the ball was coming to me and, um, you know, I just want to be able to deliver and uh, catch the ball. You know, that's all, like, that's all I was thinking is just catch the ball. You ended that year by playing in the Super Bowl and the greatest come from behind victory in Super Bowl history from 28 to three to a Super Bowl win over the Falcons. What's your biggest memory of that day? Man, you know, it was kind of neat, you know, even – you know, before that, you know, my family, we had picture day the day before and my family was all out there and we were all just standing there and kind of mingling for a while. My parents and my wife, and my brother had flown in and they were all standing there watching, you know, we were taking the pictures and everything. And then, I mean, honestly, the Super Bowl was, it was such a big moment and such a crazy moment that it's, you know, some of the moments are tar tough to even remember. Uh, you know, actually, if I saw it in person, um, but I think one of the things is, that I still to this day think about is I've, there's never, I've never seen as many people at a game that then there were there. It was, it was, it was brighter. It was, the colors were more vivid. Like it was just bizarre, but you know, the, the amount of people that were on the sidelines, you look over and there'd just be, I mean, countless celebrities on the sidelines or, you know, you look up and there'd be like the NFL network thing, you know, the booth and the, the lights from that are shining in and, you know, just people filing in. I mean, it's like pregame, and there's already the stands are already filled almost just because people want to see the Super Bowl teams warm up. 
like it was uh it was definitely the most electric environment i've ever been in and when we won they crossed the goal line and it was like holy crap we actually made this thing work you know that was and guys started storming the field and the confetti starts falling it was just like i almost was like looking around in disbelief just because you know it was was, and i and played it like it was it was crazy so it was cool um mark that off the bucket list try to get another one that sounds good to me (laughs) absolutely all right we're wrapping this up i'm bringing it full circle back to mechanicsburg pennsylvania you are not the only successful person from mechanicsburg the lead singer of poison brett michaels is from your hometown do you have any good brett michaels mechanicsburg stories yeah my mom's best friend dated him (laughs) yeah true story yeah true story my mom uh my mom's best friend growing up they're still you know friends to this day and, you know, they often talk about, yeah, they used to go down in the basement and, you know, watch Brett Michaels and their band at that time play. And they, my mom was always saying, you know, we, and we didn't think they were very good. You know, we were like, all right, you guys play the, we just go watch them. But, yeah, my mom's best friend dated Brett Michaels back in college, and, and apparently their band wasn't very good, but now they are. They got better. <laughs> yeah, they got better, apparently. That's awesome. Hey, this has been great. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback has been awesome, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.